Top Audrey fans, I'm Luis Camposano, you're listening to Friar Lounge. Hello everyone and welcome to the Friar Lounge podcast, where we regularly talk in-depth about the San Diego Padres. We cover the big league club, our minor league clubs, rumors, and the NL West. Let's get started. Thank you for joining the Friar Lounge podcast. My name is Mark Collier. I'm joined tonight by Nick Arecchia and Jorge Arce. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. How are you? Doing good. 2021. You know, we're, we're getting ready for some baseball, at least. That, that cheers me up. George, how about yourself? Oh, I'm doing great, guys. Pottery Baseball's here, and uh, stoked to get this podcast going and talk about the upcoming season and, and the big changes, man. Let's go. Just for us, in the sense of time, to tomorrow, tomorrow is the first spring game. Um, Adrian Morhone on the Hill, so excited for that. Uh, but, you know, guys, we have a couple of topics to talk about tonight. Um, one, Nick, you wrote an article um, earlier this week and kind of touched on the financial situation and the history of the Padres. And I'd love for you to just kind of like recap that article a little bit for us, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe open up a broader discussion about what that means uh, and where we are today. So maybe I'll kick it off to you and, and just love for you to kind of recap what your thinking was when you wrote that article. But I think more importantly, just open up this discussion about where we are in this just unprecedented time as, as Padre fans. Yeah, all right. So, I mean, thinking about where the organization has been, and I put this in the article, I go, to understand and to really appreciate where you are currently with, with Peter Seeler and this ownership group, you have to understand the past. You have to know where we've been as an organization and where we've been really as a city. Um, so with the Padres starting in 1969, uh, the very first owner this organization ever had um, was a, a gentleman who kept the team for five years and within the first five years of owning the team, tried to move them to Washington, D.C. So we started off on the wrong foot. This person later uh, was arrested for embezzlement and all types of things, uh, was one of the biggest supporters of Richard Nixon, and of course was involved in all types of shady stuff. So uh, safe to say he sold it after failing to sell the team and move it to Washington, D.C. He sold it to a businessman named Ray Kroc, and luckily Ray and his wife Joan kept the team here. Um, and definitely one of the most interesting things I, I think I found during the research for this piece, after Ray died in January of 84, right before the season, the very first playoff season, in, by the way, in San Diego Padre history, and of course, our very first World Series appearance that year. After that, Joan kept the team until the 1990 season. And a lot, one thing that a lot of people don't know about Joan actually tried to donate the team to the city of San Diego. San Diego Padres were very close to being the Green Bay Packers of MLB. But there was one big problem with that. MLB would not allow that to happen. So, but it was definitely one of the more interesting things to know about things in Padre history. But we've all heard we're a small market. We are not a big big city we're not a big team we're never going to spend a lot of money with the big guys um and you've heard san diego discount thrown more times than we could probably even count over the years uh and it's not just baseball you've seen that like i said as a city you've seen a professional nba team leave with the clippers 
you've seen a professional NFL team in the Chargers League. The Padres are the lone big four sports team in town. And at, at the end, I, I, I kind of come full circle with really almost 50 years of ownership groups saying the complete opposite. Peter Seidler stepped up to the plate in this current ownership group and said, we are not a small market. You know, that it, it's funny how everybody tells him and his ownership group what they should be doing with their money, how they should spend their money. And you, you, you can't do this. You shouldn't be able to do this. What are you doing with your money? And uh, the great thing is about it is this guy is a fan. And, and the, these people in this ownership group, they are fans. And they understand to make money, you got to spend money. You got to put a quality product out on the field that people love. And I'll tell you, this fan base, they love them some Padres. So you get the brown uniforms, you get Petco Park. I mean, it, full circle, and you get an absolute budding superstar in Fernando Tatis Jr., there's a whole lot of things for the city and for this fan base to rally behind. And this is just the beginning. 100% Nick. And yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate that. George, I throw it over to you. You, you, you've been, uh, you've been through a lot. Uh, we've been through a lot as, as fans for a long time as well. And just, I'm thinking about, I'll, I'll tee it up to you with just thinking fire sales and all the things that we've oh, yeah. been through as an organization. Give me your thoughts on just where, where you've seen, what you've seen from this team and, and where we're headed and, and where we are at present day. Yeah. Well, first off, Nick, great job on the article. Definitely hit home um, just with all the changes, but at the end of the day, guys, it just seems like for many, many decades, um, the fans were more interested in a championship than the ownership. And I think it's gone through some waves. I think the Crocs were some good owners. Um, you know, the payroll wasn't there. It hasn't been there until recently. Then we do, you know, the Tom Werner. And something I learned from the article, Nick, was that Joan Croc tried to sell it to the city. I forgot about that. And there were rules against that, right? So uh, they had to go to option B, which was Tom Werner and a, and a group of minority owners that at the end of the day, looked at it as a business, right? And then it got into John Moore's hand, which I think led us to, to a good path in 98. And um, I think we hit a hit on a lot of check boxes that year and she, you know, took us there. And, and then we got into the, the Morad day. So at the end of the day, guys, I think the ownership now, like you guys said, Peter Seidler, he's an owner that wants to win. He's an owner that's worth three plus billion dollars. So he's got the money to spend on his team, on San Diego's team. And for the first time in a long time, man, um, you know, you got the owner, the GM, the coach on the field, all on the same page. And as I've talked to you guys, you know, um, at the end of the day, championship teams like the Patriots, the Saints, you know, teams like that and other, other pro sports, they win championships because everyone's on the same page and they're willing to spend money on guys that are going to take them to that next step. So I'm extremely, extremely excited for, you know, what's going to happen in 2021 and Guys, this is crazy. We're forecasted to be the we're the number two ranked team in all of baseball. Like when as fans have we been able to say that with, you know, without even questioning it, because they're going to win some games. They just got to parlay it on the field. And and we're we're definitely set up to, to win a lot of them. So super jazzed. Yeah, absolutely, George. And I'm just thinking about it from my perspective. Um, you know, I've been. I became a Padre fan in 84. Unfortunately for me, just to have that experience and seen a lot through the years. But you know, Tony Gwynn was really the only guy who was off the table. Um, everyone else, you came into town, like, you know, you might have a quick ticket if there's a if there's a fire sale around the corner or we need to make a trade. And, uh, you know, that, and that's the way it's been. But now it's a different ball game. Like, 
and Nick, we talked about this offline briefly, just from a financial standpoint, right? The top five contracts in Padre history have happened in the last five years, I believe, and significant um, investments that have been made in addition to balancing, you know, the roster with lots of young talent that is controllable talent for quite some time. And I think that's where, you know, just looking at a, the teams like the Cubs and the, the Astros that have won, um, you know, that's kind of a, a bit of their playbook, but at the same time, it's a bit different uh, to your point, Nick, just about the, what we're doing and how we're doing it. So super excited guys. And there's a lot to, um, lots to talk about, I think just from a financial point, but maybe I'll tee this up just for us to talk about in general is, um, you know, the Tatis contract, I think is significant for all of us in many ways, just given he's a 22 year old young superstar. Um, we're going to be much older guys when that contract is, is finally up. Um, just love to know, like, I think that's the last contract that just means a lot to us. It shows that like all in commitment, um, you know, uh, feel free to jump in, Nick, George, I'll, I'll just make this open dialogue about just what this Tatis contract means to us. I think for, I mean, come on now, for, for a fan base, you have, this is a snake bit fan base that, I mean, I remember talking to my own wife about like when in previous years, do you want, you know, do you want a Jersey? Why would I want a Jersey? Because the, the guy's not going to be here long enough for me to wear it probably. And, and honestly, it's been true. And you look back, you mentioned the fire sale days, the Gary Sheffields, the Fred McGriffs, you know, that, the Kevin Browns, the Steve Finleys, they don't stick around very long. Even like the hometown kid from East Lake High School, number one overall in 2000, Adrian Gonzalez. And then, and then you had to see him win, not only in Boston, but you had to see him win up to five. And that really hurt. Mm-hmm. Nick Peavy win in other places is his best years were as a padre but right now when he looks back on his career like you can look at his twitter and stuff like that he looks back at his time as a red sock and his time as a giant not his time as a padre and that's sad and that's what this fan base has dealt with so what does the tatis contract really mean it's a commitment that this guy is going to wear this uniform for his career this is going to be the Tony Gwynn of this generation. And I know that's a bold statement because Tony's a Hall of Famer. And Tony will always be Mr. Padre. But Fernando Tatis Jr. is carrying that torch from Tony. And he is going to be the face of this franchise. That an entire generation of kids are going to grow up. They're going to grow up watching Fernando Tatis. And he's going to make an entire generation of kids, not only fans of the San Diego Padres, but fans of baseball. Yeah. No, George, and go he, ahead. And he's already doing it, guys. I mean, yeah, the, the reality is, is that contract works for everyone. And you hit it on the head, Nick. It, the word's commitment, man. And again, it's not just from Fernando. It's from Manny's commitment. It's from, you know, the GM's commitment. Everyone's committed. You know, it's it's a three to 14 year window. And um, but Fernando, he talked about it with Tony Gwynn Jr. on the 97.3 the other day. He wants you know, he's not trying to talk about the statue and, and some people might think that's arrogant, but man, that guy wants to put a staple in town. He wants to win a world series. And he, and he said, I want a statue next to your dad. And I, I think that's super impactful. Um, you know, everyone's on board and, and that kid, he's happy to be here, man. And, and he hits all the check boxes, man. He's, he's not a five tool player. He's a six tool player and he builds a clubhouse and, and, and they asked him the other day, do you have free agents that have reached out to you that, 
ask about San Diego and coming here. And he said, absolutely. So um, before this was just a town where people would just send their careers here, a la Maddox, a la, a la Piazza. And, you know, as fans, we loved it, man. I mean, big names in our city, but we were a sub 500 team for a long time. And now we're going to win some ball games and we're going to do it with some studs in the lineup, man. And shoot, man, we're, we're a stacked team. And the funny thing is, is Preller's not done on the phones, guys. And we know that. But at the same time, we got to make sure we're not we're not giving too much on on what we need. We got to we got to make sure the guys in camp right now are, are a championship team, in my opinion. But, you know, we'll talk about the rumors in a little bit of, of the guys that have been floated out there. But um, at the end of the day, the contract was great for all parties, I think. And Tatis is going to make his money off endorsements, which he already has, I believe, an Adidas, a Gatorade. And uh, fill me in on the last one. I know. I think BMW. I think it's BMW. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I and I, I would say I just I think from, you know, it's a it's a to your point, George. It's a contract that works both for both uh, both parties. And you know, to realistically, five years from now, that contract's going to look pretty solid, right? And from um, just a, a value standpoint, right? They're they're paying him. Um, you know, better than what he would have probably have received if they had waited until he was a free agent. And I don't believe that there's a crossover of Manny and Tatis making $30 million a year. That's a crossover, which is just smart to tee it up that way. So you're, you're giving the organization flexibility when it comes to the next call it, you know, eight years with Manny. Um, You've got the left side. That's just probably going to be the best left side of the infield um, in the major leagues for quite some time together. Obviously, the most most uh, most valuable um, from a dollar standpoint as well. But um, well, maybe we could shift real quick from uh, just thinking about the financials, right? To um, I, I would say this is also a bit on the financial front, but just like some of the upgrades, right? In terms yeah. of obviously, twenty twenty was a successful shortened season, right? Padres took a step forward with the inclusion of of um, you know Jace Tingler the flurry of moves that were made back in August. Um, and then of course, Preller ends the year on a, on a fine note by adding two big arms in addition to um, a third arm, you know, early in, in January. Um, George, I'll, I'll kick this one over to you. Just like thoughts on the, the big three arms that came in and then Nick, maybe I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit just about like some of the other additions and how this, how things are going to shake out. So George, uh, let me know your thoughts on just like the three new arms that we brought in. Yeah. So, I mean, let, let's talk about you Darvish, man. I think that was just a, a good opportune time to, to where the Cubs were trying to shave some payroll a little bit. And um, you know, that, G, that, that ownership change a little bit. And I'm not quite sure where that, where that, you know, Chicago Cubs are, are trading guys like that when they have the money. I mean, that a team like that prints money, but we took advantage of it and we gave up, you know, a handful of prospects with a lot of upside, but we get a guy that comes out with six plus pitches um, for those that fall off the table. And when you Darvish is on man, and he's in that, you know, he's in the top of uh, talk for Cy Young every single, you know, year for the past few, when he's on, um, I want him in my rotation in the playoffs, man. And the last time he had a rough outing, it was against the Astros during their cheating scandal. So we don't know what those numbers really look like. Right. And, um, and he, he sacrificed a lot of contract, I think, uh, uh, because of that happening, but at the end of the day, uh, you Darvish in our rotation, nasty. So love it. Uh, Blake Snell, um, you guys know me. I, I've been a Blake Snell for a long time. And and for me, I always talk about, yeah, we'll make the playoffs, but it's when you get against the Dodgers. And Blake Snell showed well against the Dodgers. He makes hitters look uncomfortable in the box. 
and he's got a big uh, swing and miss rate. So um, love me some Blake Snell. He's a gamer. He wants the ball for shit all nine innings. And at the end of the day, uh, he's a gamer. So love it. And then you go to Joe Musgrove, the local guy, right? Um, favorite player growing up was Jake Peavy. He's sport number 44 this year, which I'm stoked for. And uh, he comes in as one of the Pirates, you know, top aces on their team. And I think he's coming in here in a comfortable, call it what, I'm, I'm going to guess he's going to slot in the four hole in the rotation, which I'll match him up against anyone in baseball in a four rotation. So um, excited about the three pickups, man. And and I think he's ready to win and excited for what San Diego's got going on. So yeah, uh, big contributions from those. And let's finish up the rotation. I mean, Lament and Paddock or Gore, um, you know, how are you going to touch that? Yeah. Yeah. Nick, um, feel free to touch on those, just the, the starting pitching briefly, but just uh, would love your thoughts on, on a few of the other like key bullpen arms um, in addition to just, uh, you know, um, uh, Kim who came over. I think he's an important guy that we should at least uh, be talking about just the, a little bit of an unknown, but super exciting. I think Padre fans are excited for what he might bring too. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the starting pitching is, is going to speak for itself. I mean, you have, total four guys in the starting rotation that have made opening day starts before. So, and that, the, the guy who might be the most talented in the entire group is the one who has not in Denelson Lamette. So, yeah. that speaks volumes. Uh, let's start with the bullpen. So, really bringing back the same bullpen as, as last year, but a couple pretty big additions, actually. Uh, and, of course, Kirby's no longer here. Trevor Rosenthal signed with Oakland. Uh, Kirby to Toronto. But you bring in Mark Melanson, who pitched a lot of high leverage innings in, for a, a league championship making team in the Atlanta Braves last year. So he's not going to blow you away with velocity. He's not going to blow you away with pure stuff. But man, guys do not square him up. He gets a lot of soft contact. So you, you want that ground ball? You want that weak pop-up or fly ball uh, you know, in, in a key spot? That, that, that's his M.O. And the complete opposite kind of a pitcher is uh, Keona Kellogg. So he's had some injury history, you know, and a little bit of volatility uh, in terms of uh, interactions with the opposing team sometimes. But in terms of pure stuff, I mean, he's somebody who can bring it mid-90s with a really strong curveball. So, and, and really when it comes to expectations, you still have a healthy Emilio Pagan. You still have Drew Pomeranz. By the way, on the MLB network, the shredder voted him the number two reliever in Major League Baseball coming into 2021. Nice. So the bullpen's pretty stacked and still the dark horse in the pen for, for my money. Two, one from the right, one from the left, Mr. Austin Adams, who when he came back, he probably came back a little rushed last year based on what Jace Tingler said so far in camp. His velocity in Seattle was more or less 95, 96. He was hitting 92 more or less when he came back. So if his velocity is back in the 95, 96 range with that slider, that, that's definitely a candidate for the back of the pen. And then, of course, we've been talking about this kid for the last two, three years. Came over originally in the, in the Will Myers deal, Mr. Jose Castillo. So you talk about power stuff from the left side from the pen. He's probably, in terms of best pure stuff from the left side, in a top 10 for left-handed relievers in Major League Baseball. The stuff is that good. He's got to stay on the field. If he does that, Padres are going to have a dynamic pen. Now, in terms of the position player group, we're really, we're, I mean, it's a luxury to have. We're bringing back the, almost this, I think the exact same starting lineup that we had last year. But instead of resting on the laurels, AJ Preller has doubled down on it. 
So we bring back Jerkson Profar, who as of right now is going to be a bench player. He's going to be a super sub, possibly in the infield a little bit, and then, of course, in the outfield. And then Mr. Ha Seung Kim, who was a superstar in the KBO in the Korean Baseball League. He, in Korea, played shortstop. Here in the States, he's probably going to share time at second base with Jay Cronenworth. And from, from the news from camp early on, he's going to find himself probably with a little bit of time in the outfield. So getting acclimated, but you know, one of the big things on players that come over from the KBO is how quickly can they adapt to higher velocity? They just don't see it in the KBO. I think the average fastball velocity is usually 90, 91. Here in the States, I think the average fastball velocity is now over 94. So there is going to be a little bit of an adjustment period at the same time. He's an athlete. Uh, he's a little dynamo. Um, <laughs> you, you look at that stature, and it is it is a stout build. So and he's got a lot of pop in there. So kind of a quick t- quick twitch athlete, we should say. And then one big area that was a night and day difference from the 2020 roster to begin the season to what the 2021 season is, is the catching group. And I want to make sure we address that. When you started yeah. off the season last year, you have – and, and I, I hate it. Oh, don't, I don't, don't remind me, please. Please don't remind Okay. We'll do it quickly. Do yeah. it quickly. But we had Francisco Mejia, and we have that other guy that now plays in Cleveland. I'll just leave it at that, okay? With Austin Nola and Victor Caratini, the catching corpse has been upgraded dramatically. Yep. I mean, it was an offensive black hole for the organization last year in the first half before the Austin Nola acquisition. So now your backup is night and day better than any of the catchers you had in the first half of last season. So huge upgrade, not only offensively, but I'll tell you, defensively, Caratini is, is typically Ben U. Darvish's personal catcher. They're going to continue that this year probably. You already have a great rapport and great results, obviously. And then with Austin Nola, he did an amazing job last year on the fly, learning mm-hmm. an entire 100%. Job. So now yeah. with full offseason, with an ability to have a normal camp, you know, the expectations is, man, he, he's going to really break out this year. So that, that's one of my uh, one, picks to click right there. One, one of the things that stands out to me just about this, this, the team and the way it's been constructed is just the flexibility. If you think about the players that we have on the team, pretty much feels like everybody, when, from a position player standpoint, maybe outside of, of Hosmer, um, can play multiple positions, right? If you're thinking about Cronenworth, right? How many, we have five, six shortstops on the roster, right? Yep. We've got, um, you know, Caratini can play first base, um, even O'Grady, right? He's getting time um, in tomorrow's game at first base instead and of Hosmer, which, and, and, you know, it, it, there's just flexibility. Um, we were even talking about getting Tommy Pham time in center, which could be interesting. I, I don't, I don't know about that, to be honest. Um, just, I feel like, if there's any like weak player defensively, I think he might be that player. Um, certainly happy fans on the roster. And I think he, he's a short-term play, but provides leadership. Um, hopefully he's healthy. Um, and, I, and I think there's one question that we probably still need to address is that the DH is, it, it seems like it's, it's, it's not in play, but like as of last year, the DH came into play very at, right at the end, right before the season started. And it, it, now it's currently one of those negotiating chips, right? Of just like from the, the bargaining that's happening. And I, th- I think we can all agree, at least I, I think George, you and I, you and I've talked about this and Nick, I'd love your yeah. understanding from a, just your, your thoughts on the DH, but I, I believe like 
you know, no, none of us want to see pitchers holding bats anymore. Um, like we've, we've kind of left that, that, that period behind and, with the bats that we have on this lineup, it would just be a travesty in my mind to see, you know, a guy like Jorge Onya who, who might be able to contribute this year, not be able to contribute simply because, you know, we got pitchers with their bats with a bat in the hand. Um, so maybe you could talk about that real quick, just thinking about, you know, the, the rocks, the roster flexibility that we enjoy, but how that might handcuff us a little bit if we don't have the DH. Well, I mean, I, it's a bad move for MLB to not exercise the DH. Um, in a season where starting pitchers are going to be taxed more than they ever have before, going from a 60-game season to a full 162, there's already a ton of injury risk. There's already a ton of that. Why risk it even more? A great example. I'll I'll give you the Atlanta Braves. Mike Soroka. He's working his way back from an Achilles injury. If he has to swing the bat and run the bases, he might not be ready to start off the season with the major league team. He might start on the on the disabled list. I mean, that is that's a huge you know bump for them to start the season. If who's probably their number one or number two starting pitcher isn't ready to go because he has to take at bats. And I'll tell you, for as good as you Darvish, Blake Snell, and Danelson Lamette are on the mound, it is absolutely dreadful and scary to see them with a bat in their hands trying to lay down a bunt. When you see a major league professional hitter like Eric Hosmer, who bunted incorrectly last year and took one off the finger, broke his finger and was out for four to six weeks. The last thing you want is for Blake Snell to be up there doing the same thing. And guess what? He's out for six weeks because he was trying to lay down a bunt. Nobody wants to see that. It's, It's boring. We talk about entertainment. We talk about speed of the game. Put another hitter in there make it entertaining and also give more opportunities to guys to, to get in there. Like you mentioned, Jorge Onya, somebody like that too. So. And George it's contrary to what MLB, the MLB is telling us, right? We want to like right. make the game better. We want to bring more fans to the game. It's like, it's really putting a, a bat in the pitcher's hand doing that. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, we we've seen the stats, man. I think the hitters, when pitchers are in there, it's a 144 average versus a 280 something average when, when non-pitchers are in there. And it's just sad because I think Manfred, you know, and the union have failed us on this because actually I, th- I think Manfred offered the union the option of extended playoffs and um, and the DH. And when when they say that, oh, we want to do it for the fans, but yet they're not negotiating that way and they're using the DH as, as that chip, um, the fans pay for it. You know, uh, Ron Fowler had to sit down with fans a couple years ago after one of those um, cool amateur games. Um, and he said that he was a purist. And I think before we all w- were in that boat too, that it takes a sense of managing an NL game. But when you have some of these pitchers who are groomed to just be pitchers out of high school and they don't pick up a bat at all, then how do you expect them to hit major league pitching with movement? You know, it's it's not fair. And before us Padre fans, when when our offense wasn't there, you're taking you're taking a handful of at bats and no knock on the poor guy. We'll just say the name Hedges or you know certain guys that are automatic outs, but when you had a pitcher and hedges back to back, it's a dead inning. So you're killing a third of the game with pitchers in the lineup, guys. So at the end of the day, the DH needs to be there. We know it's around the corner. Unfortunately, we're not seeing it this year. Um, but again, I, I expect to see it after the negotiations are done. But yeah, the fans are paying for it. And yeah, I don't want to see, you know, Blake Snell take an inside fastball against Kershaw off the finger. You know, um, I, I don't need to see, 
you know, Darvish rolling an ankle at second base. Like, it's silly, you know, but, um, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I'm sure the, you know, Jace and, and company will keep the guys in, in proper position to, you know, avoid as much injury as possible. Yeah, so I, I go ahead, Nick. Real quick, Mark, I apologize. I no, okay. there's, a, there's a strong chance MLB, through pressure from the organizations in front office, there, I, I, I still think there's a strong chance the DH does play this year. At the last minute, you think yeah. it'll get in there? I just think there's so much, like I said, there's so much injury risk for starting pitchers already that to, for the team to take on additional risk through running the bases, through, you know, swinging up there. I remember Tyson Ross swinging about dislocating a shoulder being out for the rest of the season. Yeah. There's already a ton of risk. There's no reason to jeopardize more of a team's chances of success through something that nobody wants to see anyways. And, so. and Nick, to your point, I think if we if we hadn't had the DH last year, I, I don't think we would have known any better, right? Because we wouldn't have had experienced the DH. But the fact that we got 60 games and we had the DH, like we saw it firsthand. And like, it was just a better game, uh, you know, just bar none. So, um, you know. So I got, I got a quick question for you guys regarding yeah. the DH. And, you know, since it's not going to play out, do you guys think that the – the, the bench is going to consist of four or five players since we're going non-DH as of now. And in terms of the bullpen, I don't know if you guys wanted to talk bullpen to see there's a ton of guys in there. There's only spot for eight or nine. And I'm staring at a list here of about 16. Um, you know, what do you guys think happens with that? Well, I'll jump in real quick. I, I think there's right now there's this surplus of arms, right, that are that falls into this like bucket of guys who are tradable, um, you know, to me, it's like, you know, maybe a year ago, I wouldn't have thought this, but just thinking like Gara, Stamen, you know, Williams, guys like that, like, I'm not saying they're going to be sent off, but like, you only have so many roster spots, right? And like, to me, Gara is a live arm that I think brings value to our team, but I think he probably brings even more value to someone else's team at this point. And, you know, as much as many guys as we have sent off from a minor league standpoint, like guys like that, and even Stamen, who, you know, I feel like Mark Melanson is is the a guy who maybe potentially replaces him in just terms of his innings because they're similar pitchers. Um, and a, a contender maybe in the National League East or even the American League could probably benefit from these guys. So that that's my my first thought. Um, but um, I, I don't know. And then Nick, jump in here. That's just my that's my initial reaction, just in terms of like we have the surplus of pitching and we not everybody's going to make the club. True. I, and I'll, I'll say there's also a very strong possibility with 24 games being played in the first 25 days. And with like, once again, going from 60 games to 162, there's no way any major league team is going to get through the season with five starting pitchers. So there is a strong possibility that you'll have a six man rotation, a seven man rotation, probably at some points. So who, who's going to be that sixth starter? You know, maybe it's McKenzie. Maybe it's Adrian Morhone. There's you're you're going to need pitching. You're going to need a lot of depth this year. So in terms of relievers, yeah, I, I think there's there's obviously the locks. There's you know Pomerantz, Pagan, Kellogg, Melanson. Um, there's some guys that are going to maybe start off the season on the IL, that, like Matt Strand, uh, mm -hmm. working his ba working his way back from uh, knee surgery. You have guys that do have options. Taylor Williams has options. Um, Jace Tingler just put out something on him. I uh, talked about him at one of his press conferences uh, in the last handful of days, though. 
yeah. talking about his stuff, the ability to spin the ball, his two and four seamer. So he sounded very high on him. Michelle Baez is another name that gets bandied about right now. He's doing a little bit of a new arm action, a little bit, a little bit of Lucas Giolito doing the short arm. So a lot of a lot of pitchers have had big success with that. Lucas Giolito, Shane Bieber. Now obviously, not not saying he's going to all of a sudden morph into a AL Central ace, but <laughs> you know he, he was a very heralded kid before. So you know that might get him to bump up. And from the sound of it, they're trying to have him be more of a multi-inning reliever. So. Is depth going to be key? Absolutely. Will some of these guys find themselves as trade fodder? There's a strong possibility of that. Tim Hill's name has come up in mock, you know, trade things out there. But you got to think about it. With a healthy Matt Stram, is Hill the fourth or fifth best left-handed reliever on the roster? That's probably not getting you onto the team right now. That's going to that's gonna keep you a triple A. So, and he has options, I believe, um, from what I remember. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting, right? So just going back to what you were saying, Nick, about a six, seven man rotation, like, obviously we have kind of the, the, the five that are locked in with, you know, Darvish, Snell, Lamette, um, Paddock and Musgrove, right? So we've got those five that are kind of locked in, but then you've got this, like, right. You've got, you take Weathers and Baez, uh, Gore, Right, these guys who are kind of in this like Adrian Morhone, who could start, and and so he's the guy who's most intriguing to me. It's Morhone, right? Because you know, I, I think for, for good reason they've kind of mm, I don't know if "baby" the right word, but like had kind of a you know a limit on his innings and his uh, given his like injury history, and I think he's he, he could serve as a guy like Urias, like for the Dodgers in a similar fashion, like in, near the bullpen. Or I think he's also got a, a lot of upside because he has so many pitches from a, a starter standpoint. So my, my, here's my sense is what they're doing with him is they're, they're, they're seeing what he has in terms of flexibility. But if we think about this team and how it's built through 2023, you know, that's how it's kind of built now with these big contracts and stuff like that. But then you're going to have the, the gore, the guys who are going to need to be impact players in 24 is like Gore and Morahone and Weathers and that's going to be like the next wave. And are those guys, those three lefties, particularly, are they going to be the, the next wave of starting pitching when, when the, the contracts of, 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 you know, Darvish and Snell are up. Um, and I, I think that just speaks to the, how Preller's constructed this, um, this, uh, you know, the roster overall, but I just love you guys thoughts on that. Cause I think it's a big topic and uh, I'll just finish with this. I, I, I think the gore to me is a, a guy who we might see first in kind of the dog days of summer when we need to have innings. Um, and I think, you know, they don't have to start him early on because you want to kind of limit his, his uh, service time. So he could come up later, but let's just talk about that. Cause I think this is a big conversation. Go ahead, George. Yeah. I was just going to say, there's no big rush for Gore. Uh, you know, the, the rotation's loaded right now um, and not to play against the contract. Cause I think the Padres are over that, you know, I think that's something that they used to do. And we're realizing that a lot of organizations, um, you got the situation in Seattle that just happened where the guy openly admitted it. And, um, but you know, it's a setup to fail system, man. I mean, if the way the contracts are now, if you have those big blue chippers, those top prospects that turn out to be studs, um, you're talking about 20 to 30 million a year, man. And, and teams have to be financially responsible. So it puts, it puts the party, it puts the teams in a tough spot, man. So hopefully with the new CBA, 
um, they address that. But um, until then, right now, Gord does not have to be in the rotation in the five spot um, for many reasons. But yeah, team controls a little bit, one of them. And again, we, we don't need him right now. Paddock has earned his spot. He was our starter last year. He's working on a third, call it fourth pitch. He kind of gave up on the curveball, in my opinion, last year due to location issues with the fastball and changeup and some predictability from some good hitting teams. But, um, you know, I think he's he's going to do a lot better his third year. But um, I'd say just pump the brakes on Gore. Weathers, you got to love what the kid did against the Dodgers on the big stage. Um, and I think the way the organization's doing this is in three-year blocks. And I think that's how you have to do it. We have Darvish, Snell, these guys all locked up for this three-year window. And if they want to stay along and they're still producing, sweet. If not, you got the wave of Gore, Weathers, um, that whole group coming up, man. And it's, again, the team is set up for success for the next decade plus. And it go boils down to the initial part of our cast here, man. It's the ownership. They want to win. They're doing it smartly, strategically. And you're going to see a lot of other teams hop on this, dude. The Dodgers have actually, um, you know, started to, to kind of follow similar suit with the short contracts. Yeah, Nick, what do you, what, what do you, what do you got? Yeah, Mackenzie Gore, the, the good ones come fast. That's what AJ probably was kind of famous talking about the top prospects. And Mackenzie Gore today was throwing a bullpen uh, live VP against a lot of the San Diego crew, including uh, Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. Yes, he was. And the report was that he was throwing mid to high 90s and snapping off plus plus curveballs. So uh, if he's doing that against that lineup, he could do that against a lot of lineups across Major League Baseball. Because that lineup that he faced today is going to be as good or better than any other that he's going to face in this league. So if you true. dominate that lineup, you're going to play against Major League Baseball. And he will he will find himself in a rotation spot sooner or, or sooner than later if he continues to perform like he did. And, and I think it goes back to that flexibility, right? Just having that depth is just so key. Um, knowing that, uh, and maybe this will be our last uh, topic here, is just knowing that the team North, right, LA is, you know, a stacked team as well. They have a lot of um, talented players. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, Preller looks to kind of measure the team that he's built based on the roster that they're facing. Uh, I think one key note that they added Trevor Bauer, um, I've been vocal about saying, I feel like he's, you know, really brand over baseball. And I think, you know, I, I was in on Bauer as a guy that we might look to add just cause I feel like he's, he's talented, but not $40 million talented in my mind. But, right. um, I, I think for what the, for the type of team and the cohesiveness that this team has built that Brower would have been a detriment to our team. So I'm glad he went to LA, um, and they get to deal with, with that. But I, I just wonder, like, you know, just, you know, we don't have to go too far into this, guys, because I think this is a much broader topic, but just would love to get your quick sense of just like, have we closed the gap? Are we, are, you know, is this, you know, we, we went, what, 19 games against this year? Like, I feel like it's, it's pretty equal and, and health and, you know, grit and some like things like that are going to make the difference in terms of how that season series plays out and, and ultimately how we end, end this season. I'd uh, love your thoughts there. George, I'll start with you. And let, yeah, let just really quick, guys, a uh, quick answer for me is a yes, we've closed the gap. The Dodgers, in my opinion, outside of Bauer, lost Kiki and Jock, good role players for them that won a handful of games. Um, so uh, in terms of the Padres, there's more stability and more questions answered, like Grisham. We didn't know what Grisham was going to be, right? Well, we know what he is. He's a gold glove center fielder. He's locked and loaded for center field for all plus games, right? 
Um, stability at catcher that we touched on. Nolan Caratini, good there. Um, another year of Manny, Tatis, Hosmer. Uh, we got Cronenworth. So uh, we have more stability with the team now. And, um, you know, let's talk about the – we just talked about the rotation. Uh, rotation is a rotation we've never had in our history of baseball. So um, I think all those generous upgrades and, and the Bauer upgrade to me, I've told you guys this, he took the place of Dustin May or Gonsolin, guys that really gave it to us, you know. So how much do we really lose there? I know those guys slide into the bullpen, but for me, uh, we made dramatic step-ups, and the Dodgers haven't. So I definitely think we've closed the gap on on the two teams. Nick, what do you think, man? Yeah, um, I mean, adding Trevor Bauer, come on, they're, they're, there's no doubt he, he's a good pitcher. Uh, one of the big things that he ha that he does almost better than just about any other starting pitcher in the game is he is an innings eater. And in a season where you're going to need that, that's going to help him a lot. Uh, is it going to be a six-man rotation in L.A. during probably long stretches? Absolutely. So, you, unfortunately, you're going to see Dustin May in that 101-mile-an-hour two-seamer. I don't think he's going away anytime soon. Tony Gonsolin in that splitter. Um, but is it an arms race in Southern California finally for the first time in many, many years? Yes, it is. Um, these are not the, the little brothers down the five anymore. This is a battle, and it is a war of attrition. And when we talk about where we're at as two organizations, I mean, th these are projected to be the two top teams in Major League Baseball this year. So there's going to be some very highly contentious uh, games either at, at Chavez Latrine or Petco Park. And, and I will tell you, you know, we're, we're going to see what happens between here, but there's 19 games during the regular season that'll tell us a long ways what's going to happen in October. So uh, with, with that being said, like I said, Trevor Bauer, yeah. Does he make them better? Yes. But when it comes to the postseason, uh, one of the things I, I think why Bauer wanted to be in L.A., I just think he wanted to live closer to dad. So Manny's his papa. He's right down the five, so you can come visit him anytime he likes. Um, <laughs> and from there, you know, Manny awesome. will be, up, be able to come up and visit, tuck him in at night, sing him a, a bedtime story. So uh, uh, 2021 <laughs> is the year of the friar. So I, I love it, Nick. And, and just to add my two cents on the, the Dodgers, like certainly a talented team. George, I think you made a great point about just the, the depth they lost from a bench standpoint. Uh, that they haven't replaced yet and I would also add that like I feel like there's gonna come a time with the youth and the swagger and just like the you know a lot of the Padres are kind of in their prime um, and you've got some Dodgers you know thinking about their rotation right they've got some young player pitchers obviously um, who, who bring a lot of value to that but thinking about like Price and, and Kershaw a lot of miles um, a lot of miles on those arms and there's going to come a time just like with, with Bumgarner, uh, you know, anybody like that, that eventually those miles kind of catch up to you, right? You get to the mid thirties, um, you know, just thinking about Kershaw, like he, we talked about this before he benefited last year on a 60 game season, being able to, to be fresh after not going 162, being ready to go for the world series run after only having a two month season. If that had been a full season, would we have seen a healthy Clayton Kershaw? So certainly we will never know that, but I think it's, and then, and then price coming back price um, right. coming, coming back is, is a big unknown. I think there, there's a thought that, you know, having a year off, maybe that benefits him, but a full year off and not having pitching and then trying to go 200 innings, like, is that even feasible? 
Um, so what I think he's a bit unknown. Uh, and I, and I, you know, so I think that that benefits us is um, we just don't know where we're going to get them from them. And I, I just think they're, they're older players um, and there's going to be a decline at some point. So um, with that gentlemen, I'm uh, ecstatic that baseball's around the corner. Um, tomorrow is the first spring training game. We are um, approximately a month away from baseball. Uh, we'll do one more of these before the season kicks off, but uh, excited for, for baseball and uh, appreciate the time and let's go Padres. Let's go Padres. Like I said, 2021 year of the prior. Let's go. George, any final thoughts here, buddy? Oh, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Get ready. 33 days away from opening day, April 1st, guys. Let's do it. Yeah. And I'll just say last thing, guys, I, I'm missing uh, us being in, in uh, Peoria this year uh, together. Uh, you know, George, I think you gotta, you guys may get out there a little bit to, to be able to catch a game, but I'm, um, you know, the, our annual trip uh, is not going to happen this year, but uh, hopefully um, next year and the years beyond that, we'll make that a, a, a regular thing again. So uh, um, anyway, we'll, we'll talk again soon and, and thank you very much. All right. Good night, All fellas. Right. Take care.